Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. Our stock's cheap. Our stock's cheap at 17 and a half or 18 times earnings better known as P.E., Price to Earnings. Well, different strokes for different folks, I guess. We've got two gurus giving completely 100% diametrically opposed advice. Ooh. So, And the R words being thrown around everywhere, recession, not a recession. Are we in one? Are we not in one? And we're going to get into that as well as Michael Ramos's leading sector, the big fundamental story he's found this week. It looks like it may have some long-term legs. And then we're going to talk about his football, not football, not soccer, <laughs> not, but foot, American, football American football with the pigskin. Yes, of course. And it's actually going to be fantasy football. Oh. I, he's going to step into Alex's shoes and uh, Hunter's old shoes yeah. and taking a shellacking from Don. At least Don's hoping. I'd like to see an upset. I'd like to see him step in and, <laughs> would you, and, and would take you Don's time. Hey, I would. Oh, you, you, like don't, you don't even know. I'm going to help recruit for him. <laughs> yeah. He's, sure, he's surely doomed then. <laughs> anyway, and we're also going to introduce our new intern analyst and his background. But first, first, we have a huge announcement at Revere. That's besides the new analyst, Ted. Besides that, we are now SEC registered. Ooh. Yeah, I put it off as long as possible, hey. but we really had to do it. We got it. We got above the hundred million dollar <laughs> mark, and they always let you have a little bit of wiggle room because you know you get above there, and if all of a sudden you do it at one hundred and five or one hundred and ten million, and the market pulls back and you shrink down a little bit, where well, you're supposed to go back to the state, and it gets kind of expensive. So mm-hmm. they they kind of let you give you a little buffer and let you get up to you know one ten, one fifteen. But after that, well, we're well above one twenty now, and um, you know, approaching 130, and so it's kind of a little bit hard to not not do that. Mm. Uh, Interesting but anyway, how that do- downside protection keeps your AUM up. up there, yeah, you don't have the roller coaster. I, I like it. That's I, correct. I, I, that's actually very good. Now, before and, and and with going to the SEC comes more compliance and regulation and more. Uh, stuff and so with that, I have to read the disclaimer ah, yes. before we go on about this SEC registration. Uh, your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for education and entertainment purposes only. If you want or need individual advice, please seek your own in, uh, investment advisor or seek out one of us at Revere. We would be happy to re- talk to you, review talk to you about the market stocks, whatever you would like to do. You can email any of us, dan at revereasset.com, don at revereasset.com, or michael at revereasset.com. You can also call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Or for more information, just go to revereasset.com. All right, house oh, cleaning is over. We're, all right. we're done with that. We're done with that. Okay, so now we are going to uh, SEC registration, which actually makes it very easier, much easier. Because before, you know, we're licensed, registered in state, you're, you're licensed by the state, you're primary business in, and then you can go to each state, you can do, have clients in other states. Yes. But as you get five or more clients in each state, husband and wife counts as one, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to get registered in each one of those states. Uh, is that the White House calling, Don? Asking for some economic, economic 
He's input. Sore. He's sore right now. Uh, are, are two quarters of, of, of declining GDP <laughs> a recession or not? <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. So so the SEC, but I'm speaking of the SEC, um, but if you get more than five or more uh, clients per state, then you've got to get licensed in each one of those states. And so we're already licensed in like five, maybe six. I, I was going to say, yeah. You, yeah I've got a compliance company there. that keeps yeah. me compliant. But, but anyway, and so it makes it a lot easier because now we can just do one big blanket registration and we're done. That is nice. You don't have to do all the, yes. Well, it congratulations. Is, it is, but they are a little bit more... Um, I guess the best word is organized. They're they're just more fit. Yes. <laughs> okay. And and, and you know and and you will get audited in the next year or two. And in, in our business, that's a good thing because sure. uh, you you want to try to you know keep everything uh, on the up and up. Oh, well, but, of course. But I saw this article and I thought it was apropos because we we're going to talk about SEC registration, right? And the SEC. This is the title of it. And all these articles are in the footnotes. I mean, in the footnotes of the show. So if you want to do your own research. You can go read any of these. But the SEC is scrutinizing RIAs, that's Registered Investment Advisors, that's us, for remote workers for possible violations. Well, they got to do that remote workers because since COVID, everybody was working remotely. They can't do, you know, non-remote because nobody's at the office, right? Right. So anyway, um, but it says the SEC is zeroing in on ethics, best interest, and failure to supervise violations. And it's particularly acute with advisors with multiple branches and with different operating procedures among the branches and advisors that uh, work remotely and have their own book of business, meaning they are doing their own thing and managing. Mm -hmm. And they give a few examples. And one guy was kind of cherry picking and giving the best execution for his own family members and his preferred clients and giving a worse execution, meaning worse price when he bought stocks for uh, the I guess his less favored clients. Ah, that's known as cherry picking. Okay, got a big fine. So anyway, it says failure to oversee portfolio management practices, um, billing and trading is really the three big areas. Now, what is and that made me give me a big sigh of relief because I went well, good deal because we do everything in block trades. Everything gets everybody gets the same average price including Don and me, we're right in there with our clients. Yeah. So we do everything at the master level and everybody gets the same average price at the same timestamp. So there is no front running, cherry picking, whatever. We do all, even though we are very horizontal, we're very, we're spread out geographically, yeah. which actually turns out to be a good thing because if we have like the ice storm in Texas, we had a year and a half ago, Don's yeah, yeah. in Florida we ready to run the along. show. Uh-huh. When Don has to leave uh, his beach, uh, palace uh, because of a hurricane coming in. Palace, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, then, then we can run the show here, right? Yeah. And and Michael's out in California, so we've got we've got like redundancy and backup. Yeah. But the other thing is, we also don't because they were worried about custody. We don't custody clients' assets. No. You're either Schwab or TD. Okay. And uh, we do all the billing centrally. So we really, and we won't really access sensitive information. That's what they're really worried about. Mm-hmm. That's really kind of housed at Schwab and TD. And as long as I have my laptop and, and I'll tell you, you got multi-factor authentication, all that kind of stuff. So this actually made me feel really good because I don't think we're going to have any problems, but you never know. You always, you always got to wait and see what they want to, want to bring up. They're a funny organization. They, they you got it now, <laughs> now. They are a necessary, you know, yeah, it's, sure. it's well, like, you know, government's a necessary evil. It That's is. all there is to it. Yeah. All right. Now, but I do want to get into this topic about are stocks cheap or not? Mm. Are we in a recession or not? Now, Jeremy Siegel, who's uh, well known and uh, I, be- I believe he's the one. Yeah, he teaches at uh, Wharton School of Business. He's basically coming out and saying, Stocks are cheap if you're if you're a long-term investor. Stocks are cheap, buy them now. Okay. Load up the truck and buy them now. Now, he goes on to and he and he makes a comparison about even with raising rates a little higher, mm-hmm. right? Um stocks are still more attractive than bonds. Bonds still aren't that attractive. Okay. Now he says, um, this is pretty he goes, I think. Clearly, I think June was the market bottom. 
Then he gives his little disclaimer, next sentence. We might test that bottom, meaning it might pull back again, but he thinks we're near a market bottom and it is time to uh, load up the truck and, and, and buy stocks. Mm. The one thing that is good in this article that I did like is that he did note, because he's talking about the Fed and thinking the Fed is probably going to ease a little bit. He, the, the Fed is not going to need to be as hawkish as they were because the numbers are starting to show slowdown, a yes. recession. Yeah. So he thinks that, that even though they, they are talking really tough right now, they may not be, and he still thinks they're going to raise another 1% by the end of the year. He did have an interesting note on here that I, I, I like the reminder. I knew about it. A year and a half ago, uh, the Federal Market Committee members, the Fed members, over half of them did not believe there would be any need to raise rates in 2022 ah. because inflation was tame. Sure. Boy, they were wrong. <laughs> Even the most hawkish member only thought the Fed would have to raise points, uh, interest rates by 50 basis points. That's 0.5, a half a percent. Okay. In actuality, they have raised it this year to date 2.25%, 225 mm. basis points, or well over 300% more than they anticipated. So their rate increases were much, much bigger than even the estimate. I mean, right. like triple, quadruple. So it's obvious that the Fed is really not a very good for, I mean, we're relying on the Fed for all these forecasting and monetary policy rules, and they're wrong consistently. So I don't know why we still, it's like the politicians in office. It doesn't matter which side you're on. They keep lying to us. Why do we keep voting them in? Yeah. Let's get rid of all the incumbents. Anyway, I won't go down that rabbit hole. Anyway, so he is basically saying it is time to load up the, load up the truck. Mm. Now, contra to that, yeah. Gary Schilling, who's an economist, um, and he's, you know, traveled the, the, the CNBC circuit, you know, he's Gary out there. Yeah. Um, he says that Wall Street is in denial, that, oh. that everybody knows the economy's weak, but he's saying it's really weak once adjusted for inflation. Mm. He said, yes, nominal pay is up 8.8%, but if you adjust it for inflation, actual pay is actually down a couple percent. You haven't kept up with inflation. He said consumer spending and retail sales, even though it showed 69 the real adjust inflation adjusted is negative 4.1. Huh. So we've actually spent 4% less. And you can kind of see that in Wall Street, and, I mean, uh, Walmart and some of these retail sales numbers. Um, also, he said that Wall Street earnings estimates by all the analysts on Wall Street were, were supposed to be 5% yeah. this year. He said, but when you adjust it for inflation, it's actually slightly negative. So earnings on a real term are actually going down and we're losing ground. We're falling behind. He also talks about um, um, consumer spending, but, but the whole point is that he's saying that inflation is, could be a lot more insidious than we believe mm -hmm. and that it's hurting companies. It's hurting company profits. And he wanted to remind people that during the seventies, even though the Dow stayed around that thousand dollar level, once you adjust it for that whole decade, it lost over 70%. So anyway, the whole point is he's saying that you need to batten down the hatches. Now, here is my thing. Yeah. This is why it's so key. By the way, we were talking about both of these topics months ago. Mm -hmm. Months ago. Um, so I'm glad they're finally welcome to the party. But that's why you've got to separate Wall Street from Main Street. Those don't always go in tandem. There's been lots of studies showing long-term correlations with the overall economy and the stock market on earnings. But in the short term, those correlations break down and it's a lot harder to determine what you got to do. So I, I agree with Gary Schilling. The economy is very weak and we are going into recession and things are negative when you adjust for inflation. I, I, agree just very short term with Jeremy Siegel that stocks are kind of looking attractive just these last few days. Last week they didn't, right? No. But long term, I'm not willing to buy anything long term at this point. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Jeremy's got, got no. Gary, Jeremy's got a lot more courage and a conviction than I do. Yeah. So 
in any event, Don, I want to get your thoughts on both of those. Are you – I'm actually going to uh, get Don. You already know the answer to this, don't you? Yeah, I know. But I love setting you up for I'm this. because I'm a broken record when it comes to this. Zach, can you uh, show the chart? Absolutely. Yeah, that's my answer. <laughs> Whatever is reflected on this as time unfolds is honestly all that matters. The opinions of either of those two esteemed gentlemen that you mentioned don't matter. Uh, my opinion doesn't matter. Nobody on this podcast's opinion matters. Nobody's opinion matters. The only thing that matters is how price and volume unfolds down the road on this chart. That's how we make our decisions, no matter how bleak or how bright the forecast might be. They say Wall Street always climbs a, a wall of worry. There's a lot to worry about right now. Uh, but is it any different during this uptrend than it was during this downtrend? And now are we starting another uptrend? That's, that's not for us to decide uh, what's baked in, what's not baked in. But all week, uh, Fed officials have been coming out and saying, we're not kidding. This time we mean it. We're really not backing off rates. And all the market did was respond with a 3% rally. Uh, this week on the heels of this big negative down day on 826. We closed. This was the Jackson Hole speech, a panic selling. We closed at 4057. Right now we're at 4062. So four or five days down, a couple days along the bottom at 3900. This is our third day up now, clearing two moving averages. The, the uh, intermediate term line, that's the red line, the 50-day moving average and our short-term trend line, the 21-day exponential moving average. And this is where we take our cues as far as what's healthy and what's not healthy over three time periods. Now, long-term, the foreboding black line that's declining, that's the 200-day moving average. That's where we failed on 816. That started this most recent leg down that was accelerated down by the Jackson Hole speech. But uh, we're, we're right back to where we were in the close that day. So all of this additional selling has been undone by this buying this week. Uh, it's very clear what the Fed is doing. Jerome Powell made it clear on 826. Every member of the Fed that's spoken has supported that over the last two weeks. And the market has just decided to, to rally after a, a break on uh, 9-6 this week. So that was Tuesday, right when we came back from Labor Day. All the streak up back holiday and the market has rallied this week despite the fact that this is a seasonally very weak period for the market i'm not saying we're going higher i'm not saying we're going lower i'm saying we will take our clues from the price and volume action of leading stocks and of the indexes and that's and, I, all. and i will say so one thing nothing else matters one thing on that chart that i keyed in on right away so the 50 day which is that red line right don is is yep. st starting to the slope is starting to pick up pot you know it's starting to angle up positive but that 21 exponential which is the green which was coming down which a negative slope is bad that means prices are going down okay it's starting to flatten out if that continue yep. that continues that's bullish and if it starts to turn up that's really bullish so I, I just made that exact change on the tail of the tape for tonight's video. And um, damn, I'm a damn genius. That's, that's one of the things that, that we'll be yeah, highlighting. Yeah. All right. All right. So anyway, folks, the, the whole point is, and we, we beat this every week. We beat this like a broken record. Don't listen to CNBC. Don't listen to Bloomberg. I mean, it's good as a research tool to find some kind of theme or whatever. But it's, it's not good to help you make money. A lot of times they come up with stories after the So the market was selling off just a week ago, and they came out with all these stories right after that the next day because they got to fill their periodical, their newspaper, their television show, and they come up with stories why the market sold off. Now it's starting to rally, so now they're starting to backfill stories about what the bullish story is. So a lot of times they write the story to explain what just happened, whether it's right or not. Okay, right. That's one thing you can't rely on because it's old news. It's history. Okay. And, and number two is forecast going forward when they say, I think 
you know, six months or nine months or a year out. That's too dangerous. And, and by the way, the best leading indicator, some of the best leading indicators six to nine months out is the stock market. Yes. So when Don was saying price and volume, price is truth. So that's what we're going to try to key on. It's, it doesn't matter what any of us think. So, all right. And I know we go over that a lot, but we got a lot of new listeners coming on board all the time. So we want to reiterate that. All right. Now, so before, before we get into uh, Michael's uh, fundamental uh, sector and his football, not football, right? <laughs> um, um, I want to introduce our newest analyst, intern Ted Zhang. And Ted is actually a senior at William and Mary, man, who was going, you know, maxiofacial surgeon or dentist, I mean, biology major. He was doing research on DNA and all kinds of complex stuff. But then he got the trading bug about two years ago. Oh, three. And Ted, anyway, so I, will let, I will let Ted give his background and history. So, Ted, welcome to Revere. Thank you, Dan, for having me. So my name is Ted. I am from Vienna, Virginia, a suburb outside of D.C. And yeah, like Dan said, I'm a current senior at the College of William & Mary. Coming to college, I was a science guy. I was pretty much dead set on dental school and maybe oral surgery. That's something I would have decided in the future. Um, after the COVID crash, spring of 2020, my friends who were already in the markets introduced me to the markets. And ever since then, I think it's about 2.5 years now, I haven't missed a day. Um, I'm also an O'Neill disciple, Stan Weinstein disciple, and Mitrovini disciple. I've read their books. And so after about a year, I started tweeting and sharing my thoughts on Twitter. I've gained a decent following. And from that, I secured an opportunity at Trader Lion over this past summer. And I worked on Stan Weinstein's course with them. And that was a great experience. And then luckily through that, I was able to reach out to Don and now I'm here and I'm really excited to be here. Well, you, you obviously impressed Don quite a bit because he called me up and said, this, this, this kid's for real. And he said the same thing with Michael. Michael's a little bit older, but you know, we, cause Don vetted like, like 30 guys. I mean, some of them, I mean, we put yeah. out the social media thing and we've got, we got 30 plus people now, about half of them. You could quickly go and say, no, cause these guys were right. like, Oh, I'm interested. I'd like to learn. Can I be, well, we don't have time to train. No. They got to hit the ground we running. We need the varsity they, squad. They've all, yeah, they've already got to have a lot of experience. But then he went through guys, and he went through guys that were seasoned with 10, 15, 20 years experience. A lot of times those guys are too set in their ways or they're, they're a one-trick pony where they're just doing Bollinger Bands or, you know, whatever. And they, they, they're, not, they're not pliable. They're not, they, you've got to be flexible in your mind that the market could go up and go down. That makes sense. Anyway, so, so Stan Weinstein – uh, Ted, you actually work for him. He does. He is he the one that does the stage analysis, or which one? What? what yes, he. Yep, he coined the like the whole concept of stage analysis. Right. And I definitely think that's one of the most revolutionary concepts for me, just analyzing the price and volume action of the markets. Okay. Who do you? So just I'm not. This I'm going to put you on the hot seat here. Uh -oh. Who do you like more, or who do you try to emulate more? Stan Weinstein or Mark Minervini? That's a tough call. Yeah. Definitely. I think Mark Minervini, but I, so he's a pretty short-term trader. Yep. I would say I, I aim to be in between O'Neill and Minervini. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so you've got what you're graduating this spring, right? Yeah. And so now you have made the formal decision that you're probably not going to dental school. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough decision, but I've definitely been thinking about it for the last few months. Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, that's 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 awesome. Well, anyway, you've got a really uh, impressive resume, and and Michael, you know, played a lot of competitive soccer too. You did also. Mm -hmm. You were on a couple state uh, uh, state championship teams, I guess, in high school, and you were played in the mm -hmm. nationals, and you're still active yeah. uh, in college, right? Exactly. So freshman year of high school, I went to Shattuck St. Mary's in Minnesota, and it was a development academy team. And so I went there for boarding school. It was very expensive, and the education was pretty much the same level as Nova. So I decided to go back home, and I played for McLean. And we went to, like, the national championship. We played in the National League. 
Um, in high school, I was the captain of the varsity team and also got conference play of the year my senior year. Well, good deal. Well, when, when we have a, a, a Revere uh, annual event, I may have to bring a soccer ball and have them square off against each other. <laughs> our our intra our Revere intramural uh, annual soccer match is that what you're saying, Dan? Yeah, well, yeah. we'll start a fantasy. Yeah. Is there a fantasy soccer league sure. like fantasy football? Oh, of course there is. So, well, I figured there would be because soccer's huge now. Yeah. It's growing. It's growing. My kids are all into soccer. Yeah, soccer's so, huge. We'll do uh, Dan and Don versus uh, Ted, Michael and Ted. Ted, um, Ted uh, worked with uh, Richard Moglin, who the interview that I had with him was is very responsible for us reaching. An, an entirely untapped audience prior to that interview and Richard and uh, Ross, who's another one of the guys that, that works there at Trader Lion, they wholeheartedly uh, recommended him to me. And um, Ted, I'm, did you know that Richard interviewed me before you reached out to me? Yes. I, well, no, I actually didn't. No, I didn't. So I was quite surprised. And then I it's watched the interview. World. Yeah. All right. Well, we're 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 expecting great things from Ted. So Ted, no pressure. Just uh, just uh, bring your A game. <laughs> yeah, you'll be all right. <laughs> we're we're gonna let him give us his his thoughts on the market in in just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, along with Don and Michael. All right. Now now we're going. Oh, before we get into Michael's uh, uh, sector this week that he's uncovered, I want to know. Michael, how you are going to compete against in Don's fantasy football league? Have you guys even divvied up and picked players yet? What's what? What are you guys doing, Michael? Do you want to tell them uh, how much ass I kicked last night, or do you just uh, want me to tell them? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, oh no, I'll I'll, I'll tell them because it, it it sounds um it sounds more legit coming yeah. from coming from, yeah. from me. Um, it's true i so and by the way sorry i just want to let you guys know the the gardeners uh come every day or every friday at this time so Might hear some i'm going to do my best to uh try to try to mute my mute myself if uh if my dog's barking because they do um a lot of loud stuff in the garden um so excuse that please i think they've moved on from my section but um just want to let you guys yeah, know my that. my butler almost but yeah. has my lunch ready too so <laughs> when uh <laughs> Appreciate it. what happened last night tell, tell your wife i said hello don <laughs> uh so yeah i um i was very impressed with uh with don's results yesterday my team uh i had one player who played yesterday and doesn't look like he he was involved much in the game so i got zero points and i was thinking oh well everyone probably only scored a few points on the first day but don uh Don had like 40 points uh, on the first day, which I think um, so- sounds like a lot. I think that was uh, a, 47, a very high but, who, but you know, who's counting? I, I drafted so, yeah. a combination of combination of Josh Allen, Bill's quarterback, and Gabe Davis, Bill's upcoming, up-and-coming uh, future star receiver. So a uh, great start to the season for me uh, with last night's game. Now, I also so want see, to mention what, what to you, Michael, some, yeah. something that I had to break to Hunter last year. I've been playing fantasy football longer than you've been alive. <laughs> I started in uh, 1990 was our first year. So this is our 32nd year playing uh, fantasy football. Just me and another guy are the original members. We've got 10 teams. We've had a bunch of guys come and go. Uh, but you're number 30, actually number 33 this year. Uh, which is makes me feel extremely old. We used to back. This is back in the days when we used to have to calculate the scores by getting up early Monday morning, getting the newspaper out of the driveway, and going through the box scores that were printed in the newspaper to try to calculate the points. A lot easier now with all the websites that are uh, so prolific all over the sports world. Kids yeah. these days does it for you. So pressure's on you, uh, on you, Don. I uh, I'm not. Clearly not expected to do very much, so I, I like being in that uh, position. So <laughs> less, less stress. Good disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. All right. It's one way of looking at um, it. Ted, are you an NFL fan? 
I am not a football fan. You're not an personally. NFL fan? A, well, you will, I'm a you, football you will fan. be by the end of the Foot, year. He's a football, a football fan. football, yeah. Hey, yeah. hey I, I have a question for you both about soccer because my daughter and I were talking yesterday. Her boyfriend's a huge Ronaldo fan, Ooh. right? Right? He's an awesome soccer player. Yeah, yeah. Like the great, some people say he's the greatest of all time. That's what she was saying. Her boyfriend was saying, I said, I don't know. It's tough to compare mm-hmm. eras because what about Pele? I mean, Pele was, I mean, he was good. Is he better than Messi? I mean, I don't know a lot about soccer, but I thought Messi was kind of seen as the greatest current player. Or is he a little past his prime? Messi is my go, 100%. Mm. Say yeah. that again. He, who is Messi? Messi, Messi is Messi. my go, 100%. What do you yeah. think, Michael? What do you think? Michael Stewart stuff. I I actually uh so I mean Messi Messi's ama- amazing Messi's a legend but um I I personally I would go with Ronaldo because uh like I mean just in terms of the Champions Leagues he won uh I'm a Real Madrid fan so he's done so much for our team um sorry you're all right that's all right that that is one handsome dog you got there Stella's great yeah. Oh yeah, she she's amazing. She she's uh yeah, she's a beautiful dog, but she just uh she only barks with the uh with the gardeners when they're mm. when they're mowing the lawn. That's that's all she she uh, gets excited by. But um But yeah, so Ronaldo, I mean I just think he's more of a like I I look at Messi tactically and just uh like naturally is is one of the most gifted players of all time. But Ronaldo, just his work ethic and the amount of effort he actually has to put in, like all of his, he's skilled naturally as well. But but most of his uh, his his game and his ability is is from uh, his work ethic, and he's just unrelenting. And he's an amazing uh, captain and leader. And Messi is is more of like a like a quiet, um, just not as doesn't have those same leadership characteristics so i personally i'd rather have uh ronaldo on my team um than than messi when i was when i was what, what is the what is the history behind why the best player on the team wears number 10 on his jersey it's not always the best player but it's usually uh like number 10 so historically uh soccer teams the numbers were by position and number ten was your uh, your center mid. So the center mid usually controls ah. the gameplay, and you want a very you want a skilled player in that position because that's where like for our team, Luka Modric is is like our number ten, and he's amazing. And then Messi on Barcelona, it's like that that sort of center mid uh, skilled uh, player. So so that that's why gotcha. it's, it's usually the number ten. Oh. Yeah. Well, when I was I was probably in high school, I guess maybe it was college, but I was here playing a national tournament in Dallas and that's when they were trying to bring American soccer you know get American soccer going sure. and so they hired Pele because he was a you know but he was like 50 I think. he was upper 40s at least he had gray hair came out and he played and he just ran went through player three four players at a time like they were nothing yeah and then he actually did that his trademark backflip where the ball's coming <laughs> and he jumps in the air and kicks it with his head, his feet upside down above his head, it was he was truly amazing. Oh, he was he was truly amazing. Yeah, that's great. I, I could do that. <laughs> sure, yeah, John, you can't even do that in your dreams. Uh, all right, now let's let's talk let's talk about Michael's uh, sector that you think is is very bullish. A little bit related to what you've been talking about the last couple of themes, Michael. But what do you got for us this week? Yeah, so it's interesting, actually. Um, all, all the themes have been um, energy-related and um, in, involved in, in the, uh, like, the, the first one is more, the LNG was more of a transition to this uh, clean energy. And then lithium is involved in the clean energy revolution and electric vehicles. And now today, what I'm going to talk about is, uh, is uranium and nuclear energy, which is... Uh, in my opinion, and a lot of expert opinions, uh, the the uh, sort of final stage of uh, of like ultimate clean um, renewable energy. Um, so, as I typically do, I'll go into a little background, and then we'll pull up uh, some charts and and a couple of companies that are um, or, or stocks that are positioned well. Um, 
So as I said, one of the most compelling arguments for nuclear energy is that renewables like solar and wind, in addition to being inherently unreliable, like are, are very difficult to scale and incredibly resource intensive. So like I mentioned about the lithium, and that's a big component in battery uh, storage, which goes into the solar industry. It's, it's like, it's just extremely resource intensive. And a lot of those resources are scattered across the globe. So in terms of national security and securing those resources, there's going to be a lot of geopolitical risk and uncertainty going forward. Um, so that should make it fairly difficult. And with nuclear, you don't have that issue per se. Um, there aren't enough resources in the world to build enough solar panels, for example, at the moment. And even if there were, um, they're, they're largely all uh, controlled by China, which is, which is a big issue for, for national security and, and geopolitical risk. Um, strategically, it makes, uh, it makes a lot of sense for the U.S. to use nuclear as we've got a huge head start in that industry. I'll give a little background of nuclear tech in the U.S. Uh, uh, so the, the U.S. Navy launched its first nuclear-powered warship, it's called the Nautilus, in 1954. And since then, it's operated hundreds of nuclear reactors in, in some of the harshest environments on Earth, uh, for example, in, in nuclear submarines and, and um, in, in all sorts of extremely tough environments. Um, and, and we haven't had a, a nuclear incident. So in total, it's, it's if you combined all the different um, reactors uh, that, that the Navy has been running in the U.S., it, it, it amounts to thousands of years worth of safe nuclear operation. Mm. So um, so what's good for us and the reason why the U.S. should be very, um, very uh, a firm proponent of nuclear energy is, is the fact that we have the best tech and we have such a head start in the space and uh, uh, amongst other things, which I'll mention in a second. But um, for example, the, the main nuclear incidents you think of and the reason why public opinion is hesitant to embrace this, this uh, technology is our, our Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, and Fukushima. But those, if you look at the data, those are outliers, um, especially Chernobyl. And modern reactor designs are orders of magnitude safer than, than those reactor designs that had the incidents. Um, and it also has to do with the location of those reactors. Um, because the, the the way that you create um, nuclear energy is is through um, it's through heat. It just the the nuclear fusion reactors create so much heat that that um or sorry I think it's a nuclear I think it's fission. Anyway, I have that written down. But um produces but heat. The, yeah. the the heat that's generated is, is it produces so much heat that you need um a, a source of water to to cool down those reactors. So that's why uh, in Fukushima and Three Mile Island, they have them uh, next to oceans or, or big sources of water because that water then cools down the reactors. Um, but now there's a new technology, which is called the uh, small modular reactor technology. And um, that's a new development in, in nuclear technology, which, which now can make it um, more accessible and um, avoid a lot of these issues. Um, and what SMRs do is uh, they're a fraction of the size of a conventional nuclear reactor. That's why they're small. Um, they're transportable and can be assembled in locations previously not possible. So now you can have a nuclear reactor in a in a really safe area that that's not a let's say it's a, not in an earthquake zone or not in an area that could be affected by tsunamis or or these uh, harsh um, environmental conditions that resulted in these. Um, these incidents in the past, um, now you can have them sort of wherever you want. And, um, and they, they harness, uh, it's nuclear fission, yeah, to produce energy uh, by generating heat, same as the other reactors, but they're just a lot smaller and transportable and more affordable, easier and faster to build. So um, looking into the SMRs as a future for this nuclear technology is a really interesting space. Um, and then one last thing I'll mention about nuclear energy is the biggest barrier um, for nuclear energy going forward at the moment, um, aside from public opinion, which is largely changing, if you take polls and just the way that people are talking about it, it seems that that public opinion is really embracing uh, nuclear and, and um, would actually like to see it take center stage. Um, but the biggest problem is actually overregulation. 
And if uh, you look at the delta between uh, the cost and time to build a traditional reactor in South Korea, for example, versus the United States, um, it's massive. It, it's just so much cheaper and easier to do it in, in other countries. And all of that, it's almost entirely due to, to overregulation. So if we, if we do want to see nuclear and, and, and use it and embrace it, um, there's going to have to be um, a lot of changes in the current regulatory environment. And um, Japan, about two weeks ago, said that they're restarting uh, their nuclear reactors. Um, uh, actually, in California now, during this uh, power grid issue and this heat wave, um, they they restarted uh, a a nuclear uh, facility, and um, and they're the California, which is one of the most regulatory um, or difficult environments in terms of regulatory concerns, um, is is beginning to embrace it. So that's a big step um, for for the U.S. in general. And then um, yeah, so so a couple stocks now. What, what's difficult about uranium is because it um, it it's it's been in a in in a such a long bear market and it's just so difficult to uh to make money in that space for for over two decades really it's um it's hard to find quality names that are um that have large market caps that are priced well and that um have have like the the characteristics that you would need to see from uh for in order for a fund like revere to get involved in but the, the the first one and really only one in my opinion, um, maybe there's others that I haven't found, but for the most part, the biggest, the leader, uh, the largest market cap um, and and in terms of like average daily volume and liquidity is uh, Cameco, ticker CCJ. And uh, disclaimer at Revere, we actually, we, we started a position in CCJ yesterday, so we do own it. Um, but if you look here in terms of uh, so market cap, it's a twelve billion dollar uh, company, and the other ones are like the other uranium plays are are a billion or less. They're all a lot smaller. It's got some uh, institutional sponsorship with thirty six percent. The earnings are increasing and set to um, almost uh, almost triple uh, in twenty twenty three uh, to sixty nine cents per share. Um, the technical action looks good. Uh, as you can see, we hit a high in um, in April at 32.50, pulled back uh, to that $20 level, uh, balanced, and it's kind of been hanging around that 200-day moving average. But uh, on end of August, really, when you had that big volume spike, um, and we pushed above that 200-day, 50-day, and held above it. Um, it pulled back to the ADMA, and now it's been living above uh, that moving average, which uh, with with a big uh, increase in volume. So as long as that chart keeps uh, shaping up, the volume patterns are correct, and we're above those moving averages, it makes sense to um, to take a position and, and maintain it. So that's why we got involved in in CCJ. Um, and yeah, that that's the only one I'm really going to mention uh, for for uranium miners because it, it, it's kind of uh if you're a little smaller you can take a look at UUU or UEC uh the uranium ETF I guess is a is another play URA um but yeah UUU is is 1.2 billion dollar market cap um it's it's a $7 stock low liquidity uh URA URA is the only other way to really play it if you if you want something that's more liquid um this one um, is the uranium ETF, and and it's a it's a better way that you can um, that you can yeah play uh, more of those names. The smaller ones you don't have to worry about liquidity so much. Um, so URA is another option, and um, yeah, and then in terms of the small uh, modular reactors, there's not a lot of companies that are public yet because it's such a new space um a lot of them are private but one of them is is here it's um smr which is new scale energy um they took the ticker smr for a um, small modular reactor but this is a very spec play at the moment um they don't they don't have any earnings uh, they've got very little sales um i think yeah last quarter they had uh three million dollars in sales and they've got a a five and a half uh, billion dollar market cap 
So it, it is priced uh, very highly for that growth. Um, but the only issue there is, is you, you've got to understand that it is speculative. If there's any uh, regulatory issues or um, SMRs, uh, there, there's a lot of reports that say um, SMRs actually produce a lot more waste than your traditional nuclear reactors. So it, it, it may be difficult for um, It's still totally unsure whether um, SMRs are the future and whether um, it's, uh, it's a viable industry. So uh, they are signing deals. They are uh, making, uh, forging new relationships. Uh, SMR was actually a SPAC that it went public uh, via, via SPAC. Um, so, which is a special purpose acquisition company that, um, corporation that, that um, anyway, you guys can look into that if you're interested, but uh, SMR is is a, a spec that could um, could be be uh, promising going forward, um, and and yeah, I think those are the only um, three names really worthwhile mentioning um, in in this space. Um, unless unless you've got other ideas, uh, Don. Um, yeah, URNM is another uh, ETF. It's not as liquid as URA. Uh, and its chart, the charts are similar, uh, but URA is by far the more liquid one. One of the big pluses for uh, these companies this week was that the Green Energy Coalition in Europe decided to classify nuclear energy as quote unquote acceptable uh, to them. So that's uh, for a long time they were against it. I guess the realities of possibly freezing this winter because of no <laughs> Russia uh, gas coming from Russia is uh, changed their minds a little bit, but um, that was a big step forward. And if you, forever they've, they've been opposing uh, nuclear power. So if you can get the Green Energy Coalition on your side, it goes a long way to be, it being more successful and more mainstream. Well, I, I will say one thing. I think that, I think you, the, the green movement, this green movement moving away from oil and gas, they've made their claim and they're not going to reverse on that. They're not, they can't go back and say, okay, let's, let's start using more gas again or oil. Um, so now, but now they're going to start hitting the reality that there's not enough rare earth metals and lithium to actually meet the demand that they're, that they're actually regulating both in Europe and California, California and Europe both said that as of 2035, there's no more gas-powered vehicles to be sold. You can only sell new electrics. And so, and the problem with that is, if you look at the demand, you only have about 20, 25% enough lithium or metals to meet all of that demand for the power. It's, it's not, they're going at breakneck speed to a, a couple different energy, uh, green energy sources that at this point, the technology is not good enough to meet the demand, whether it's solar, wind, and and electric, all three. And so now I think you're going to see them turning, kind of to save face, I guess, to turning toward nuclear and accepting that. Like like uh, uh, Michael just said that Europe just embraced it or just, or John, is that you, that just said that Europe is now, uh, it, they put it on the uh, green acceptable list. And that's really, and I think you're going to see a wave of that going across the, the world because, uh, you know, people are not going to do without heat and, and lighting and all that kind of stuff. So um, I think it is good. All right. Well, Michael, uh, I appreciate and, it. And Dan, sorry. Well, one, one, one last thing, uh, just, just uh, piggybacking on what you just said about um, uh, lithium and these, these rare earth metals um, not being as abundant or easy or as accessible as, as we really need them to for these renewables to take center stage. It's also, um, as I mentioned last week, with these uh, most of these lithium reserves are in uh, South American uh, countries. That that just uh, in terms of geopolitical risk, there's so much uncertainty there, and it's going to be very difficult. Um, but it's not only lithium, for example. Um, like I, I mentioned, bromine and cobalt. Oh, um, cobalt, nickel, other, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A, a lot of these other uh, metals and and materials that are essential for for these uh renewable industries to um to to work are are in countries like uh, for example uh the democratic republic democratic republic of congo um has the largest cobalt reserves and most cobalt comes from there so that like a lot of these african nations are rich and um rich in these these minerals that we need and that is going to be 
an extremely tenuous and difficult situation to um, to deal with going forward. Um, China's already moved um, in, yeah, almost in. Uh, like like uh, like they they call it a sort of debt colonization where they're um, where they're financing all these projects and getting all the minerals. So it's almost like they're colonizing these African nations and. The, yeah, the, politically, they're so unstable. There's so much uncertainty. So as the demand and um, need for and reliance on these nations increases, it's it's not the best situation. And uh, we can run into a lot of issues with that. Yeah. And the other thing is on these articles, you said, I like those those small uh, those small. Um, um, what do you call them? Um, nuclear, not power plants, whatever you call them, nuclear, those. They're, because That's they're modular reactors. Yeah, these small reactors, you can actually put them in remote places, in rural places. So you can take them to where you need the energy. You don't necessarily, you can have a lot of smaller ones spread out rather than having one big one in, in, in a single location. So it makes it a lot more efficient. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Michael. Before we go to Don to do his uh, market review, I do want to go back to Ted. Because I'm going to let Ted talk about a stock that 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 he owns and that he's watching and uh, looking at. Ted, yeah. So I picked up CEG, which is also in like this green energy theme. Um, if you go on the weekly chart, I specifically liked how we had three weeks tight and it held a range of one percent while the market corrected about ten percent. So that. That to me was a clear indicator that institutions were accumulating it. And I took it on September 7th as it was breaking out. And so this is like a purely technical trade. I don't know too much about the company, but yeah, that, that's, that's one stock I own. So and then you... going off Michael's point, sorry. Go ahead. Go, go ahead, go ahead. And go off Michael's point about the lithium in South America. I actually, so the daughter of the biggest Brazilian lithium mining company goes to my school. And my girlfriend's actually really good friends with her. So I just want to share that. That was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> be, be careful with that inside yeah, information. No, no a guy Ted. knows a guy. Huh? Um, um, so it's a small do, world after all. Yeah. What, what you, what's your, uh, do you have a, do you have kind of a, a chart pattern you kind of lean toward? Are you more, you like three weeks tight better than a cup and handle or I mean, is there? No. There's no, there's no chart pattern specifically that lean towards. And I think this is where Minervini's like, like men, indirect mentorship has affected me. I want to look for volatility contraction patterns and like, you don't see cup with handles that often. So I just want to see tight price action. I want to see volume contract, which indicates that sellers have been exhausted. And therefore when demand comes in, we can see it like quick spike. Big pop. Yeah. Big pop. Yeah. All right, Ted. Well, welcome to Revere. Uh, uh, all right, Don, let's uh, do a quick market review. Sure. Uh, big change this week uh, from last week, very clearly. So last week we had follow through to the downside after the 826 uh, Jackson Hole speech by Powell uh, put a pretty firm stop to the uptrend and any rebound that, they, that we were attempting to have. After this nice move off of the lows, starting in mid-July, but really what we've seen this week is uh, just the opposite. If we go to smaller time frame chart, let's go to a 15-minute chart, and right here you can see uh, a failed breakdown. This was on the sixth, so on Tuesday, uh, the lows from last week. Uh, we we had a little gap up in the morning and then we started selling off. We broke below this 3903 area from last week, but we didn't spend any time beneath there. We immediately got right back above it. That's what you want to see uh, for a false breakdown. And that was really the last opportunity uh, to for for any bears. They kind of punted at that point. Uh, you had this gap up on on the second, which was last Friday, which was looking extremely good but we ran right into the 50-day moving average last Friday and had a very hard reversal off of that level, and it just looked like we were going to go to uh, to lower lows and continue lower. Very similar to what happened here uh, back at the beginning of July. I remember this specifically 
1.714 thinking, man, this market is, is going to break down and go lower. But what happened is you had a false breakdown. You undercut the lows from these three days here, and you got right back above it, close at the top of the range, and that was it. That exhausted all the sellers. It seems like for now, the sellers all got exhausted uh, on Tuesday, and we've had the, the third up day, three up days now. Uh, the Bears had an opportunity to take the ball back here at noon yesterday when we had some negative uh, commentary coming out of the ECB. They did their uh, 75 basis point hike in rates. We sold off very hard uh, on above average volume, but that was it. We only got down to 39.54 uh, and had a very strong bounce up for the rest of the day. We actually took a, a, a inverse ETF, a net short position at this point. It was very soon after that that I realized that we're not going lower. The buyers came back in and we started trickling to the upside. So we that's when we took our CCJ and our ON positions, went sideways into the close. And then the gap up this morning, we got rid of the uh, inverse ETF and we've made four buys on SSO, uh, all at increasingly uh, higher prices as it's continuing to show strength. So we flipped to a 20% long position in SSO, and it's right where we want to get in, which is very close to these tight moving averages. If we break below today's lows, that means that this attempted rally is going to pause. Uh, at worst, we should pull back to 4,000 if we want to keep this little bit of a rally alive. I'm thinking similar to this action over here, 719, 20, 21. Uh, we had uh, four days up strong. We had a sideways day as we started to uh, consolidate some of those gains. We pulled back for two days, came right to the 50-day moving average, and that was it. We bounced and had the next uh, three-day up move, consolidated again, had another gap and had an up move before we ran into this declining 200-day moving average. So three days up now, uh, maybe time to go sideways a little bit, but uh, today's lows or yesterday's highs should act as support on any pullback. So at worst, the 4,000 level right now, we're at 40.65, so a percent and a half to the downside. Uh, we have our we have our positions basically in place now, and we're going to uh, ride this if it continues to go higher. As far as expectations for the environment or for the uh, investing environment, uh, various market conditions, we're right here, which is we've been correcting or in a bearish, and this may be the early recovery from this recent pullback. It's typical for us to have moderate underperformance at this point. Uh, we're basically flat for the week while the S&P is up 3%, uh, but we only gave back 2 to 3% during this entire 10% pullback uh, recently. So different market conditions that you have, I've got uh, eight of them broken down here, nine of them broken down here. And we have different expectations for how our, the way we manage money, how it will participate. And right now, this is the moderate underperformance phase, but now we've got uh, our positions ready next week if we consolidate and continue higher. If we fail, and as I said, break below 4,000, we'll be out with a very small loss. And that probably indicates that uh, this three-day move up uh, is, is, at least from a short-term basis, not going to go further. So the 4,000 level, very key for next week. That means Gary Schilling might be right and uh, Siegel might be wrong if it, if it goes that way. But if it keeps going up, Siegel is right and Schilling is wrong. And that's why their opinions don't matter. Because you got, you got to follow what, what actually is happening while it's happening of course. and make adjustments accordingly. It's a lot easier said than done. Don, can you – so tomorrow, if we had a big, big update, would that be considered a four-day – the classical IBD? Or they follow through. Well, first of all, that would be very surprising because tomorrow is Saturday. So oh, yeah, I would yeah, be yeah, shocked yeah, yeah. if we had a big follow through. Uh, Monday. Uh, yeah, Monday. It, would be, it, it, would be, uh, it would be day four. Yeah. Um, off the lows. And uh, just because it's day four and we're up, it doesn't mean that it's automatically a follow through. You have to have heavier volume than the prior day and you have to have a certain percentage uh, gain for that to be considered a quote unquote follow through day. Um, as is typical, we like to get a little bit of a head start on that. We're not just going to sit and wait for IBD to tell us what to do. We've got a, a certain way that we manage things, and it involves incremental exposure uh, as soon as we see signals that at bottom may be in. And for now, uh, this signal with that false undercut on Tuesday and 
rally off of the low over the last three days, that tells us that a short-term bottom is in until we get evidence to the contrary. Yeah. So, so what Don said in plain English for the people that aren't quite stock nerds, a four-day follow-through rule is kind of an IBD methodology with showing probabilities when you get when you do have a true four-day follow-through. But a lot of times, off a bottom, you can have a ten or twelve percent rally or even more before that on that fourth day as it's happening before you would actually get in. So Don's actually developed a few tools to where we can get in a little bit early on smaller pieces to get a head start with tight stops if it if it's a failed breakout. IBD never officially went to market and correction during this pullback. They're still on uptrend under pressure. Uh, we went to correction on 826 uh, in our, um, in the tail of the tape and the videos that we do. Um, this That was just a complete change in character, heavy selling on volume, leaders fell apart. Uh, and then we continued lower for four to five days before we put in the bottom on this most recent Tuesday. Uh, so. They may not even have to say we need a follow through day. They could just go back to uptrend based on the action of leading stocks and the indexes and leaders really have been acting well. We've been, that's something that we've been consistent about uh, in uh, the videos that we've been doing. I'm going to bring in the, uh, the, the trend gauge that we use in our videos every night. Leadership never went off of neutral. Uh, how do I gauge this? I gauge it by the action of the 21 over 21 that we keep. And we just didn't see enough breaking down of the current leadership stocks that were in this 21 over 21 for me to come off a neutral. Uh, in fact, the arrow went to green last night and we're acting pretty well today across the board uh, with leading stocks. So uh, now we're going to see, so the, taking our cues from the leaders, the leaders held up. Now what we're going to see is these short-term and medium-term uh, arrows come off of bearish slash downtrend and improve as we continue to get uh, to make progress to the upside. Were you surprised that uh, IBD didn't go into uh, downtrend and just stayed under market under pressure? Um, if they were looking, if you went by how purely how leading stocks were acting, uh, not really, but. Uh, if you were looking at the way the indexes were acting, breaking down below all of the moving averages is is certainly uh, correction. And from my point of view, that's why you know IBD doesn't really push buying the indexes the way we do. I've I've long been a proponent of uh, of buying SSO to smooth the portfolio, uh, to have tight entries and tight stops because the indexes should act a certain way, uh, and then corresponding to that. 75 to 80% of stocks will do what the indexes are doing. So uh, we'd like to get uh, dip our toe in the water with the SSO first and then let the, the leading stocks prove themselves instead of taking a scattershot approach ac across a bunch of stocks that you could have a hard negative reversal the next day and give back all your gains. Yeah. And so, so in plain English, what Don is saying, that's one of the methodologies that, that he's devised to help get in a little bit early off a of bounce and to get exposure uh, quickly with, while new leading stocks develop on the charts along with the ones that, that still held up. Last question, Don, do you miss Bill? You kind of miss Bill, don't you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's only, there's only one Bill O'Neill, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. He's so, uh, battling demen dementia. He's really not involved uh, anymore. anymore yeah. But He's not a making true, the calls a true anymore. legend. A true legend, and um, I, I feel very fortunate to have met and spoken with him in person when I went out to some of the workshops that they were having out in Santa Monica, and uh, just an amazing individual for what he did for uh, the investing community. Oh, he's amazing. I still believe it. When we saw him speak here and I met him, I still think he has a photographic memory. It's unbelievable. All right, folks. No doubt. Yeah, yeah. Listen, uh, Ted, welcome aboard to Revere. Thanks for coming on board, Michael. That was a great segment on uranium. Folks, listen, please have a safe weekend. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor, just send them to revereasset.com. They can click in that top right-hand corner where it says subscribe. And this podcast, weekly podcast, will go to their inbox directly, as well as our daily market 
short daily market insight videos. They're about 10 minutes a night anytime the market is open. And we won't spam them or hassle them. It's up to them to reach out to us with questions or a complimentary portfolio review. Or if they just want a topic they want to hear on the air. We, we're not going to sell their email list to anybody. Um, anyway, you can just have them sign up. You can reach out to any of us, Dan at revereasset.com, Don at revereasset.com, or uh, Michael at revereasset.com. And pretty soon, Ted at revereasset.com. I just haven't got that set up yet. Watch out, Ted. You can also call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Folks, we will talk to you next week on Your Money. Barring any misconfusion or extrogenous events. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.